Bow with me, please, as we open the word. Father, thank you for these testimonies that we've heard today and another reminder of your power to save us. So many different backgrounds and so many different ways you come into our lives. Thank you for your grace that reaches down into our lives. And the psalmist say to bring us out of the miry clay and to set our rock, set our feet on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. Thank you for that, our Father. Now as we open the word, we pray, as we always pray, that you might open our eyes, that we might behold wonders out of your word. And then, our Father, we pray that we might submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, not, the only, not only the author of your word, but also the enabler to put your word into practice. May, he, may we submit to his enablement in our lives so that we might do whatsoever you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we want to begin a new focus. We've been talking about evangelism. We will continue to do that because we want to remind you that our desire, our focus is to keep all of these different ministries of the church in balance. So we will be continuing to talk about worship and about fellowship and about um, missions uh, and the family. And that's what we'll be focusing on today because we believe that the family is one of the most essential institutions that God has placed on the earth in order for his will to be accomplished. So that's what we'll be talking about, the family, a biblical perspective. Today we're going to give an overview of a Christian family. Perhaps another uh, subtitle could be uh, Family 101. Because most of you are going to be familiar with what we are going to be talking about. It's an overview. But we are laying a groundwork as we try to do when we present a new series. And we will be building on these uh, elements of the groundwork foundation in different messages in the future. In the will of God. In other words, broad outline now. And we go into detail later on. So we want to talk about... Christian family and give you an overview from the Word of God. Now, biblically and historically speaking, the home was created in the Garden of Eden. And in some of these, I'm going to give you full notes on the screen because you have an outline and we have an, uh, blank spaces for you. So you will find that we give you more outline than usual so you can fill in as we go along. And we hope that we can give you guide. Uh, uh, outlines for the entire series. What I'm trying to say in this first opening statement is that it wasn't some caveman long ago in a cave coming up with the idea of a family. Family was not something that was devised by the mind of man. It didn't come as a result of evolution. You know, this is the best thing for us to do. No, the family was established by God himself in the Garden of Eden. The family is the first institution established by God on earth. It was before the church. It was before the school. 
It was before government. The family is God's first institution, and that tells us the importance of it. The family is God's greatest bulwark against corruption and immorality in the world today. It still is. It has always been. And any sociologist who really study the sources and the history of the family will have to admit that one of the major reasons for the breakdown in the morality and the crimes that we have today is because of the breakdown in the family. There's no doubt about that. No one denies that at all. It is still the greatest bulwark against corruption and immorality today. One of the saddest things that the family has experienced, and this goes way back, but it's still true. That's why a lot of the things you hear today, me say you've heard before. But I'm saying again because we need to be reminded. One of the saddest historical events, didn't happen all at once, period of time, but still, what happened to the family was the passing of teaching parents. Parents who teach their children in the home rather than farming them out for others to do it. There's no doubt about that. No one can deny that successfully. No one. And personally, I believe now this is going off in another direction somewhat. I believe that one of the greatest comebacks we've had recently is the comeback of homeschooling. I really believe that. It's difficult, very hard. But in the society in which we live, it is always looked, also looked down upon and frowned by many. But I still think it's a great thing for Christian families. I really do. All right? The Bible is the only infallible guide and standard as to what is a home and how it is to be established and maintained for the glory of God. If we want to know what home is supposed to be like, you cannot get it from sociologists. Because they don't know. Psychologists cannot tell you what a male is supposed to be like. Or a female. Or what femininity is all about. They can't tell you that. The Bible can. The Bible can. The Bible can tell you exactly what a home is designed by God to accomplish. But isn't it odd that when, it's just like marriage, which we'll be talking about next time, just like marriage, couples get into problems through the first people they call, psychologists, psychiatrists, or some counselor, rather than going back to the designer of the marriage. Now it's God. We sort of leave him out until we've tried everything else. You see, that's one of the reasons why I am for Christian counseling. Not counseling just because of psychology and all of that. But Christian counseling. Counselors who lead their people according to the word of God. To me, it's just another way of discipling. That's all. If it's done properly. Unfortunately, it's not always done properly. And we bring a lot of things in from the world. The thinking, the philosophies, the mores. And we still ruin the home. You see. But genuine Christian counseling is so important today for families as well. 
Let's look at some of what I call basis or foundation for a Christian home. I'm talking about a Christian home now. Not just any home, but a Christian home. First of all, I believe a Christian home must be built according to the divine blueprint. Psalm 127, one is clear. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the home, they labor in vain who build it. It's possible to have a house and not have a home. You understand that? You can have a beautiful house. All of the latest gadgets cost the highest you pay for tiles and carpets and lights and everything else. But if Jesus Christ is in the builder of that home, you don't have a home. You have a house. And the Bible says that they labor in vain. It takes work. That word vain means to be without profit, useless. It's you work and work and work hoping to get a profit, but at the end of the day, you're still in the red. Useless far as God is concerned. God must be the center of a home if it's to be Christian. Okay, how many times you bring your children out to Sunday school and you go someplace else or whatever it is, God has to be the center of your life. God has to be the center of that home if you're going to say it's a Christian home. Now this means, first of all, that the foundation stones of the home must meet divine specifications. Anybody who seeks to build a building know that they have a code to follow before you are granted a license to build. This home must follow certain specifications for the blocks, for the electricity, for everything, the steel, everything. You must follow certain specific specifications. The Christian home is the same way. God says if you're going to build this home according to my Will, for my desire to accomplish my purpose, you must meet my specifications. And first of all, the foundation stones then must be one male and one female. Now, I'm not just saying that because of the, the time we live in. This has always been scripture. The only thing is, you see, we've forgotten it. We've gotten building codes from someplace else. Scriptures are very clear in Genesis 1.27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is, I like to say this word man here is man in the generic term. It doesn't mean male. It means mankind. According to our likeness. And let them rule. See that them. That's why we have mankind here. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. And over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now next week we're going to go through all of this. Male, female, he, them. And to see the significance of all of this. But now notice verse 21. So the Lord God, in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took out one of his ribs. And closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God had fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought it to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I love that. That's the old King James. Still sound nice. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. But you know what he's saying? He's, this, is, this is a 
This is what they call a very intense statement here. Adam is suddenly brought face to face with a woman he'd never seen before. He'd never seen a feminine being before. All he's seen was these animals. Remember all this? Mr. and Mrs. Dog, Mrs. and Mrs. Guy. He ain't seen nobody like him. And then all of a sudden, you think he just said, boy, one of my bone pleasure, my bad? No. They say the Hebrew, according to the RL version, is like, wow! That's what it, finally, someone different, but just like me. That's what he's saying. The woman. That's what makes a Christian home. When a male marries a female. Not a male and a male or a female and a female. If you build a home with foundation stones that are not male and a female, you'll never have a Christian home. And you're building in vain. She shall be called woman. We're going to go into this text quite a bit next time. Because she was taken out of man. For this reason. What reason? The reason that she was taken out of man. It's amazing how people say this for reason and don't know what the reason is. It's very simple. She was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father, his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We could say again. Because that's what they were originally. That's what the one flesh. And we're going to see that's why it's so important for us to understand when we talk about divorce. So many people talk about the divorce and they don't even know what marriage is. If you really will understand what marriage is and what the one flesh is, divorce is no problem understanding. None. No matter just doesn't arise as to whether or not it can be dissolved. You'll see that in another message. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this concept of a male marrying a female eliminates two major distortions of marriages today. First of all, the polygamous marriages. It says one, not two. One. One male, one female. So it eliminates a polygamous marriage. But secondly, to be nice, it eliminates unisex marriages. In other words, no male and male, no female and female. You see, that's what we call a unisex marriage, to be nice. Scripture nowhere endorses, I've said, the idea Relationship, a marriage relationship being established between any other persons other than a male and a female. And it's only one on one. But also to establish a Christian home, these foundation stones must be living stones. Peter says, you also as living stones are being built upon a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now they're speaking about the spiritual temple here. But the principles for building are the same. You need spiritual stones. We mean people who have been born again. What we're saying here to establish a Christian home. Both partners must be genuine Christians. As a minimum. Because sometimes just because you're a Christian doesn't really mean that you are still suited with somebody else who's a Christian. You believe, do you know it's possible for two Christians to be unequally yoked together? Two Christians? So as a minimum, partners must be genuine Christians. This would eliminate 
couple of frustrations. First of all, it eliminates the frustrations concerning achieving the purpose or goal of marriage. The purpose, the goal of marriage is to become one flesh. Not the purpose, the goal is to become one flesh. In other words, one complete person again as God originally created the humankind. Mankind. To simplify things, we like to say that a human being, man, woman, male, female, a human being, created three parts. I have three parts, but spirit, soul, and body. We're just simplifying our explanation here. Spirit, soul, and body. When two people come together who are not Christians, they could become united bodily, physically. They could become united soulishly. They like the same thing. They're compatible. You know, do you like this term? Are you compatible and so on? Divorces are given now for people who realize they're not compatible anymore. And so you have the idea of coming together. Because remember now, the goal of marriage is to become one. So when an unsaved person marries a, non, a, a, a Christian, when a Christian marries a, non, a non-Christian, they might be able to get together as one physically, soulishly. They like and enjoy the same things. But it would be impossible for them to unite spiritually. Why? Because the Christian spirit has been born again. As Christian was talking about earlier, we have the image of God now being renewed in us because of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. The unsaved person does not have. And although you could have a happy marriage, you could have a contented marriage as far as the soul is concerned, as far as the Spirit is concerned, it's impossible. And that's why there will always be a frustration in the life of a couple if they are a Christian and non-Christian, or even if they're two Christians, but one is a carnal Christian, you'll experience the same thing. It eliminates that frustration. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and the joint to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But it also eliminates the frustration of achieving the divine picture of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us that the relationship between Christ and the church pictures the relationship of a husband and a wife. An unsaved person can never be a picture of Jesus Christ. See the point? Never. It frustrates the image of God. And we're going to see that as we go through as far as the home and the marriage is concerned. That final end purpose, both the home and the marriage, is to glorify God. How? By showing what he is like. And it's impossible for an unsaved person to show any thing that God is like, right? Now, let me say this. We are talking here about God's ideal, God's purpose. Sin has come in and has ruined a lot of these things. Many of us are experiencing some things in our marriage right now. It's very difficult. The good news is that God is able to come into any situation and turn it around for his glory if we allow him to do it. I don't care what the situation is. We're talking about ideals here now. So don't look at this and say, boy, I'm not like that, and so I'm going to turn away from God and the church. No, no, no. No matter where you are, I don't care what your situation may be, if you are willing for the designer of the marriage and the home to come in and to reform and to reshape, he can do it. He can, and he's done it again and again. You see. But thirdly, 
Foundation stones in the home must be permanently joined together. You don't put these blocks together with the idea that uh, if you don't like it, you know, you don't like me rubbing against you or sitting on you, whatever it is, I'm going to get another block and put there. No, no. When you're stuck, you're stuck. Sometimes when I tell the couple I'm, uh, that I might be doing premarital counseling, says, when you get married, you're stuck for life. That don't sound too good to them. But theologically, it's the most wonderful concept you have because you become one flesh. And you see, the same way, now this is, has its bearing on divorce and remarriage. The same way blood relationships cannot be broken, it's the same way a one flesh relationship cannot be broken. You see, I have a son, Al Junior. If he, I have two sons, because Timothy, but I want to use one at a time, all right? I have another one. Um... If Al starts to do things that I don't like, me and Nancy don't like, and he, he becomes a drug addict or he becomes immoral and he does all kinds of evil and wicked things, and I say, man, I'm a pastor. My, your mother is a godly woman. We don't want you anymore as a son. So I'm going to call Brian Marie. And I can say, Mrs. Marie, I want you to sign a legal document. I want you to make up a legal document so I could disown my son. You see what I'm saying? Now, let me tell you, if anybody could draw up a document like that, it could be Brian Marie. All right? But he could make that as beautiful, as wonderful as he wants. I could even throw Al out of the Bahamas. You know what I'm saying? I could do all of that. But you know something? He's still my son. That's one flesh. You could draw up all kind of bill of divorcement all you like. There's still one flesh. And you got to deal with that. You see, and God does deal with it, you know, because situations comes up and divorce happens. Does it mean that God throws away? No, definitely not. We all created an image of God and every one of us, the divorcee, even the homosexual, even the murderer, everyone is precious in God's sight. And God reaches out redemptively to everyone. And so should we. We must remember that. But we're talking about the ideals. And we're talking to young people especially perhaps. Watch out with your relationships. You see. They must be permanently joined together. This is what he says in Matthew 19.6. By the way, this passage in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is only used two times. Uh, three times in the New Testament. Twice by Christ and once by Paul. And every time it's used, it has the idea of showing the permanency of the marriage relationship. This is what it says in Matthew 19.6. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful? It's a legal question. For a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? In other words, back 2,000 years ago, they were asking whether no-fault divorce was okay. That's what this question is. No-fault divorce. Back then, it was a little easier, though. You didn't have to go to lawyer. Well, a man had to do if the lady didn't look right, smell right one morning, didn't cook the food right, or spoke little time, is go outside and jump up in there three times inside the washroom and you're gone. That don't happen today. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, listen now, made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You see, we read that and get the idea that man can't put them asunder. No, no, that's not the intention. The, the idea is this. God has done it and no man can do it or undo it. That's what he's saying. For Jesus, every time the Pharisees asked him about divorce, Jesus didn't talk about divorce. You know what he spoke about? Marriage. He said, if you understand what marriage is, you would not be asking this question about whether or not there's such a thing as no-fault divorce. You're going to see that when we talk about divorce and marriage. And some of you are going to be angry. You see, this idea of a permanency in marriage, and we always try to get the couples that we're dealing with, the premarital council, to talk about divorce even before we talk about marriage. That's right. What is your view on divorce? If you've got a man who's coming into a relationship who says, well, like, that means, you know, if things didn't go right, we get divorced. I tell the woman, you better look for someone else. No, I'm serious. And so we try to bring those people to understanding. We know it's a little immature, a premature, rather, but we tell them now, to, after we talk to them of this, I want you to look this woman in the eye, and I want you to tell her that I will never initiate a divorce against you regardless. Say to him, I want you to look this man in the eye. I want you to say to him the same thing. And if they don't say it, I don't do any, divo- I don't do any more counseling. Sometimes we even have a contract for them to sign. It's not as binding as you go to the lawyer, but at least they know that they've made a commitment. Why? Because that's what marriage is all about. It is a lifelong commitment. You see, that's what it's all about. Now, this understanding eliminates... The simple concept of marriage, understanding of marriage. One simple concept of marriage is that marriage is only a physical union. Therefore, if my wife or husband doesn't satisfy me phys- uh, sexually anymore, they're not satisfying me in bed any longer, then that's the ground for divorce. The Bible doesn't teach that. It also eliminates the idea that it's only a relational union based on compatibility. As long as we agree on things like the same food, like the same places, like the same people, and all that kind of thing, we can stay married. But if I start to like something else or something else, I don't want Chinese food anymore, I want Mexican food, I don't want group anymore, I want something else. Therefore, I have a basis for divorce. No. But now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of minimizing some things here, but you get the picture I'm saying. It's not based on compatibility. It's not just based on sexual fulfillment. Neither is it only a contractual union. Normally people look at the marriage, the legal aspect of it as a contract between two people. But we're going to see later on, and in fact, we're going, to, uh, we're going to see in a moment, we'll probably try to finish it, that, that, that the, 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 the Christian marriage goes beyond the contract as included, but goes beyond that. See, the contractual understanding of marriage, it means that, hey, we're going to agree here, but somewhere along the line of I don't agree, since I'm one of the parties here, I could withdraw from this contract. But the Bible shows that rather Christian marriage is a complex union, not a simple one, and it involves all three of these aspects plus a covenant with God. And this is what makes a Christian marriage differently. In Proverbs chapter 2, the writer says, To deliver you from the strong, the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion, this is the part I want you to see here, 
that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets what? The covenant of her husband. Does it say that? Does it say he forgets the covenant of his wife? No. Covenant with God. Marriage is a covenant with God. God comes in as a witness. And he agrees with the terms that are made. And the only way those terms can change is if he agrees to change them. That's the part that's forgotten in a non-Christian marriage. Those who understand the concept of marriage realizes that God has a part to say in their marriage. Now, we, I think we're going to stop at this point today because we're going to go in to show the, the, the we're going to show the, uh, the different roles, as we call them. I don't like that. We call them the, the role to the husband, the wife, and the children. We'll pick that up next week, Lord willing. But I want you to see here now, right at the beginning of the book of Genesis, God's opening revelation to us. He lays down the foundation for a Christian home. And if we go contrary to those specifications, we're going to find trouble. When the winds come, when the storms blow on our home, on our relationship, if it's not grounded firmly on the foundation that God has set, it's all going to be washed away. It becomes vain without profit. So my appeal to you today really want to have a relationship, husband and wife, a home truly experiences the fulfillment of God's purpose in your life, be sure that you build it according to the specifications he's laid down. You might say, I've already started. It's too late, Pastor Lee. I've already started and I've got some of this, some of this inferior Materials in my home, my relationship already. Listen, God is so good. God is so gracious. You go to him in confession of sin, and that's important. I start to build on my own way. Start to build it according to my own specifications. But Lord, I want you now to come in and take over. Construction of my home. Building of my relationship. I want you to listen. He'll do it. He'll do it. He can give you a new home. He can give you a new relationship with the same woman and the same man you've got. He can. But you've got to turn to him. Call to him. He'll answer you. He's one contractor who will never let you down. 